Hakeem, Hakeem Collins, Unseen Warfare. Okay, okay. Well, thank you so very much for sharing that. Did uh, our discussion yesterday, was I wrong? Uh, was, it, uh, was it weird? Was it a little odd? A little odd. It's okay. Um, you know, we've kind of grown up in one kind of environment. We, remember, we're, we're, we're in a post-enlightenment world. And so because we live after the Enlightenment, you know, we have an, all of our educated people, all the educated elite of our culture, they don't believe in any kind of spiritual warfare. They don't believe it happens. They don't believe it's real. They don't believe any of those things. And so spirituality is reduced to a kind of a psychological um, coping mechanism that helps us cope with the world. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Right. Right. Any other thoughts or questions based on yesterday? They're up against somebody more powerful, right? And this is where it goes down to what we talked about yesterday, which was a lot of Christian missions revolved around this kind of confrontation between powers, which is odd for us. We don't think of that as an evangelistic tool. Like, that's not evangelism for us. That's like how you get over sickness or disease, if that was real at all. That's a major evangelistic thing in the ancient world. Uh, matter of fact, uh, this is a freebie. As a matter of fact, um, they found um, papyri from Egypt uh, in, um, in the Nag Hammadi Library, which is basically a garbage dump. But they found that, um, there were pe- that, that, that pagans were taking the names of the apostles and putting them into incantations. So the apostles' names were involved in ancient incantations. And what does that tell you? They believed they had power. And they were trying to evoke that power in the way that they had framed their world. Uh, so it's, it's really fascinating stuff. Yes. Yeah. Possibly, possibly, yes. Yeah, that's yes, that that's that's them trying to use Paul Paul's name, Jesus's name in a type of incantation type of a thing. Yeah. 
I, I do think there's a, there's a real reality to that, is that you're, those drugs and pornography and those kind of things are doorways. Actually, I think I would make a good case, I think you could make a good case that the scriptures believe sin is a doorway. That sin opens up a doorway that allows those dark powers a foothold in your life. And this is partly why the, 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 the conquest of sin is not some kind of trivial thing. Because the sin in your life has an impact upon the spiritual cosmic battle that you're fighting. That's a way much of the early church thought of this, is that in, in a lot of ways it's like when you have sin in your life, it's like you've taken off your chest armor in this battle and you're going into battle with this gaping, vulnerable place. And that's not a very smart thing to do. Um, having been a soldier, I can tell you that's not a very smart thing to do. Yeah, so does that make sense? And I don't think that he's saying something necessarily that's wrong. I think um, as, as much as that's a part of it. You know, when you talk to other cultures and other places, they'll say, yeah, those things are there, but there's a much, there's a much wider area that's open. And I think what we have a tendency to do is psychologicalize everything. We turn it into a psychology, yeah. Sure, of course it is. Everybody's, whose mind was flying when we left yesterday? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I knew it would be, yes. So I'm just thinking about Jesus' trip to Bethany and Philippi. Okay. He said, you know, the gates of hell will not stand you. I think you go God's hand, you know? Yes. And the gates of hell, the, the door of hell. Yes, that was there, yes. And, you know, you're talking about sin, but like I'm thinking, Lord, what's going on here? Yeah. I think so. I, I think there's a, you could call it that. Um, pagan and pagan just simply meant country dweller. Pagan did not mean a belief system. It meant a country dweller, which is a weird thing to think about. Christianity actually spread first in the cities, and then it went to the countryside. The countryside was conservative, and conservative meant, I'm not going to do stuff that I don't know it works. So pagans were country dwellers for a long time. There are people who are outside of the cities, outside of civilization, who are practicing traditions that have been passed on for a long, 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 long time. Um, so you can call those kind of practices pagan. I think it's all kind of depending on the cultural, like there's a lot more culture involved in that than any kind of official, what is a pagan? You know, a pagan is a lot of different things. Yeah, back in the back. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, what did the guy in the in the? Yeah, it's fun at first. Uh, I'll tell you this story, and then we do have to get started. Um, I had a, 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 I was first in ministry in North Carolina, serving at a church in Asheboro, North Carolina, and we had one of the, an older couple, they were in their, uh, I think, late, late 30s, early 40s, we invited them over to our house, because that's what I had done growing up, is you invite people over to your house, and you talk to them, so we invite them over to our house, and we asked them their story, can you tell us your story about how you came to Christ, I mean, it was just that easy, 
you know, hey, just tell us what you, how you came to Christ. And this was their story. They said, well, we were heavily involved in the occult. This is about 96. We were heavily involved in the occult, and we found it as a, as a means of power, being able to, you know, manipulate this or manipulate that, get this little thing, get this little thing. And so we got deeper and deeper into it. And then one day we came home, and we found all our pots and pans were in our kitchen, just swirling around in our kitchen, flying off the shelves, just flying everywhere. And we looked at each other, and we said, we are in way over our heads. We need help. And so they went to the church, they got saved, they became believers, but they had pulled out of that because that, that was, and I'm sitting there, I, I, mean, I hadn't heard anything like that. I'm like, well, that's a story, <laughs> right? Like, that's, a, that's an interesting way to come to Christ. But they found in Christ an allevement because these forces stopped being things that responded to them and they started being things that were controlling them. And that seems to be a predominant theme, is that uh, these forces start off as powers and forces that are fun to play with on the edges, but the deeper in they go, the, the, the control flips. It's a bait and switch. You know, you, have, uh, you thought you were in control of it, and the reality is it's really gotten a control on you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we got to get moving on. We, we had a really good discussion yesterday on dark powers um, and the, the effect that it had on the early church. The early church was heavily involved in this conflict over dark powers. Um, and in a lot of ways, the reason Europe is able, to, in a lot of ways, to be able to get out of, uh, from underneath that, we get the enlightenment partly because for hundreds of years, there are not a lot of demons running around that they have to really worry about. And it kind of becomes something that falls on the wayside that a lot of other cultures, they don't let it fall on the wayside. It's kind of like central to life. So what we're going to talk about today is the kingdom of God. We're going to kind of, the, the, the desire today is to kind of wrap everything up. So we started off, so we'll do a recap real quick. Uh, we started off on Monday talking about Jesus, right? And what did he do? Do you remember his three things? He came to restore Israel, establish a new covenant, and along with that, a new way of life. Remember, a new covenant means a new way of life. So he's establishing a new covenant uh, and a new way of life and redeem us out from under the dark powers that manipulate and control us. Okay, so how does all this fit in together? Um, Tuesday we talked about what? The church at Antioch and how the gospel went from the, the Jews to Gentiles. And was this an easy process or a hard process? Very hard process. One of the hardest things the church ever had to figure out how to do. And they followed the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit led them to it. But as we discussed, this wasn't some kind of new thing that God kind of sprung on them. It was all found in the Old Testament. It had been God's plan all along to include the Gentiles. And Gentiles, if you read uh, Galatians and if you read Romans, Gentiles are grafted in. We are pulled into the promises of Israel. We're not replacing Israel. We're being grafted in with Israel. 
And then Wednesday we talked about Hodas. Remember what Hodas means? The road, the path, the way of life, our way of living. And this went back to that whole idea that Jesus established a new way of living, a new way of being in the world. And it's a combination of ethics plus identity. You know, I belong to the kingdom of God, so therefore I have my own ethics, my own belief system. And it's, it belongs to this kingdom. And it's not mine, but it's, it, it, it makes me, it causes me to be a certain way in the world. And then yesterday we talked about dark powers. Who feels like we're kind of shooting in a bunch of different directions? Does it feel like we're shooting in a bunch of different directions? Does it feel like we're kind of building? All right, which, guess what that is? Kingdom of God. That's where we're going to try to pull all the threads together that we've been kind of pulling on, and we're needing some kind of central thing to kind of tie these things to. Well, we're going to try to tie them to the kingdom of God today, because it's our last day. So if I, you know, wait till tomorrow, y'all are going to be, well, what happened? Why do we, how do we do this? So um, as, a, as, a, as an aside note, I want to I wanna give you an opportunity. Thank you all for grabbing the, the cards. Did anyone listen to any of the podcasts? It's okay, it's okay. Um, uh, and this, I'm going to say this for the people who are listening on, on the tape, because apparently a lot of people listen to us um, afterwards. So uh, you can go to our podcast. We have a website called www.rethinkjcmission.org, and that actually has our podcast. You can actually find our podcasts on Spotify, iPod, uh, Apple iPodcasts. Uh, you can find us, find us on Deezer. You can find us on, uh, I'm sorry, Google, you can find us on Spotify. So we have all these different places that you can find us. So wherever you do podcasts, you can usually find us under Rethink Mission. So it's just brand new. We started it in May. And if you liked what we did, kind of the cultural stuff, it is a lot of that. It's a lot of culture. And um, it's a lot of stuff that was going on in the background and the underneath and then we're going to talk about how Jesus' mission fits into that. And then we're eventually going to grow. We, we go into other projects. So if you're interested in that, that's a little plug for Mike. All right, so um, we're going to go to our, our central scripture verse, Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. We're actually going to try to exegete this verse today. And I think it's going to make a lot more sense now than it did on Monday when we started it. This is kind of the central thing we keep coming back to. So Philippians 3, chapter 17, verse uh, through 21. All right. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Okay, so we're basically what we're going to do is we're going to kind of walk through this, kind of start to exegete it a little bit. Um, and we're going we're to pull it together 
um, with this idea of join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. What is he kind of talking about there without saying the words? What pattern did he give them? What way of life is he talking about? Following Christ, that's that hodas. So Paul shows up in Philippi, and he shows them, this is how a kingdom believer lives. How, how often have we heard Paul say that? Follow me as I follow Christ. The way of Christ was not some ideology. It was a way of living. It was a way of being in the world. It was a, it, like a culture. And, you, and Paul is saying, look at me. Look at how I live my life. Watch me, and you do the same thing. Now, how many of us would say that today? None of us say that today. Do you know why? We're all like, well, people mess up, people screw up, and so you know, we don't want anyone to look at anyone other than Christ. Paul had no problem saying that. you know why? Because it was a specific way of living in the world. It wasn't some kind of idealized way of living in the world. It was a specific way of living in the world. And Paul says here <coughs> in Philippians, follow my example, do what I'm doing. People come to church and they learn about Christ by watching you. And what you don't do them any favors by saying, well, don't watch me. I've only been in church for 50 years. Don't look at what I'm doing. Only follow Jesus, which means what? Right. We're not doing anybody any favors. The way of Christ is a specific way of living in the world. We do specific things. And it meant doing things like praying at certain times, having certain practices, interacting with people in certain ways, forgiving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, right? Loving people. Paul didn't just idealize this as this is what you should do. He demonstrated it. And this is that pattern. And this is all part of citizenship, right? You're a citizen of a specific place. Well, a specific place has specific practices. They go certain places at certain times, and they do certain things. And what we've done is we've so removed our spirituality from anything specific, it becomes anything you want it to be. And we're not even talking about liberals here, guys. Who are we talking about? Yeah. Those of us who say we believe in Christ, it becomes this kind of smeary kind of do whatever you want. Jesus loves you. Now, I'm not saying we all need to run out and join the Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church does this a lot better than we do. They say, okay, here's a rosary. Pray a rosary. Here's a church. You pray this. When you go into the church, you, you light this candle. You pray to these, right? They walk them through it. It's a very specific way of life. And guess what? We don't do anything like that because we're like, I don't want to be Catholic. Right? That's what it is. We, a lot of times we don't do it specifically because the Catholics do. And for no other reason other than, well, the Catholics do this. I don't know if you've noticed, but when I pray, I've, I've, I cross myself. Have you noticed that? Do you know the early church has always done that? And the only reason we don't do it is because Catholics do it. Now, is that a really good reason not to cross yourself? That's not a good reason. Now, I'm not saying run out and join the Catholic church. What I'm saying, though, is that there's a lot of things that Christians should be doing that we ought to be doing, that are Christianese, and we can't look at Catholics and go, they do that, so we're not going to. Catholics also help the poor. We're going to dump on that one too, right? So Paul says, follow my way of life, follow my example. 
For as I have often told you before, and now say even again, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. What does this have to do with um, the dark powers and the dark forces? Is that someone in here? Because the thing is coming from our backpack here. Oh, someone's lost. Should I take it to the door? That way someone can find it. Because I'm like, huh, that's really... Either I'm hearing bells and Jesus is coming to pick me up, or... Philippians? Yeah, Paul says this in Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Join with others in following my example. For I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of cross of Christ. The world that the early Christians lived in was dualistic. We talked about this yesterday, right? According to John, if you're not a believer, if you're not serving God, you're serving the devil. Now that just seems a, bit, a little too clear for us. We like a little bit of gray in our lives. Well, you know... You know, what about those really good Muslims, right? Well, I don't know what we'd say today, but I do know what they said back then. Yeah, not believers. That's what they said back then. They're not a believer. So they're, they're living as enemies, enemies of God. So you're a children of God or you're an enemy of God. And this is what he's talking about. He's talking about that spiritual power and spiritual forces. Yes, Yes. And then you get to go to heaven. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, I completely understand what you're saying. But here's the problem. What do we do with Paul? I get what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But what do we do with Paul? What do we do with this? What do we do with this idea of citizenship? And citizenship that is not an idea, citizenship that is a way of life, a hodas, a way of living in the world. How do we, how do we balance that out? That's a tricky part. Yeah. Eastern Orthodox. Yeah. Well, there's actually the Syriatic is also, they split off from them. And then there's Coptic Christians, they split off from them. Um, there's actually Ethiopian Christianity, split off from them. There's actually a lot of different types of Christianity. Yes, yes. It can easily, because why? Well, because humans easily slip into sin. They really easily slip into sin. So I'm not saying that you're wrong. What I'm saying is, okay, so what do we do with Paul? Yep. Yep. But, you know, I think about the kingdom, I think of the attitudes, you know. Yep. Yep. Not divorcing your wife, which is a pretty specific thing. Yeah. 
Right. Well, th- this is the problem that all of us had. Anytime you have a culture, anytime you have people, people do specific things. Okay? How many of us eat dinner? No, you don't. You eat hamburgers. You eat french fries. You eat hot dogs. You, you don't eat dinner because there is no such thing as dinner. You can't go out and find it. It's an idea that exists in your head. So people don't eat dinner. People... What? It's a time of day, right? It's an idea about a certain type of thing that you're doing at a certain time, but what you really eat is a hot dog or a hamburger or oatmeal or, right? That's what you actually eat. You don't eat dinner. Now, we talk like that, and there's nothing wrong with talking like that, but it's an illustration of what cultures do. There's no such thing as culture. Culture's always specific. There are specific types of things that you do. You what? We can, we can say, the, the point isn't to get kind of picky about the dinner. The point is that it's specific. Everything that humans do is specific. And we put labels on those very specific things that we do. That's how that works. And so anytime anything gets specific, you got one example of one culture being one way. And then what do you do with believers who accept Christ in a different culture? Well, it's going to look different because there's specific things that they do in different contexts. You see the problem? I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole so much, but this is what we're, we're, this is how churches split because one culture accepts Christ and thinks kingdom living looks like this. Another one accepts Christ and thinks that kingdom living looks like this. One of the biggest problems the, the church had was trying to figure out when to have Easter. Do we celebrate it on this day or that day? And it was a big deal. Us as Americans were like, well, just pick a day. It's okay. Right? That's exactly what we do. Do you know why? Because specific days don't mean anything to us. But what if you come from a culture that specific days mean things? Then it becomes a big deal. That's the problem. Does that make sense? Well, that's exactly right. Boy, this is like you're ready to bring this issue all back up again. Well, yeah, Eastern Orthodox have one way of uh, dealing with it, and uh, Catholics have another, and Protestants have another. The point is that the, the way of living in the world is specific, and Paul's demonstrating it. He's living in in front of them and saying, follow me as I follow Christ. There's nothing wrong with you teaching people how to do that. Um, the problem is, is, one, you ought to just raise the bar of your life a little higher. You know, if you're afraid someone's following you and going to get it wrong, then maybe you are getting it wrong. Raise the bar a little bit. Um, so I've lost my place here. So um, it's our job to live out that path because we are living in not in this kind of happy world. We're living in what kind of a world? What does this kind of illustrate? Is this a, a passive world where there's a whole bunch of easy stuff going on? Is this a world of conflict? This is, this is a world of war that says there's dark powers and dark forces and you have decided to pick up on the small side, the child of God's side. And if you think the child of God is going to have an easy path in a world that's got filled with enemies of God, you've got another thing coming. And this was all part of conversion, people. This was all part of what it meant to become a Christian, is that I have picked up on this side of this conflict. So inherent in that idea is what? I'm in a fight, so what, what's going to happen to me? 
you're going to get hurt. It's inherent in their conversion ideas. You, you've picked up one side in a fight. Well, guess what? You're now in it, and you're going to get hurt. And so this is where martyrdom comes into this whole process. Martyrdom becomes a reality, and it becomes a practice that the early church says, that guy's doing it right. So they, they live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. He's inverting things. I can't get into it too much, but they, they have their ideas of what is honorable and what is shameful. You know, what is honorable? Doing what's best for my, my family. Uh, uh, you know, doing what's best for things. So having sex with a goat or exposing my child outside in the world, right? That's okay. That's an honorable thing to do. What's a shameful thing to do? To leave the, the practices of my family, to leave my family behind. The child of God says, what is shameful? It is shameful to do what God tells us not to do. So having sex with goat and exposing children, we don't do that. That's shameful. Well, that's inverting the honor and shame power situation. They're going to look at them as shameful, and they're going to look at them as shameful. Right? It, it is right there. That's what he actually, well, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, and their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. They're not thinking about the God of heaven who has created them. So uh, I want to... I wanna, Take, get us a scripture here, except it's not scripture. It's a letter. This is the Apostolic Fathers. And this isn't scripture. This is a letter written about 150 years-ish after Paul has written this letter to the Philippians. It's called the letter of Diogenetus to the Methetes. You don't need to know that. But it's uh, in chapter 5. I want, I want you to listen to how this person, this isn't scripture, I agree with that. What you're hearing is how these people heard Paul and the church and what it meant to be a believer. Okay, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a, a haul, so um, just kind of listen. For Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. For nowhere do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak some unusual dialect nor do they practice an eccentric way of life. This teaching of theirs has been dis not been discovered by the thought and reflection of ingenious people, nor do they promote any human doctrine, as some do. But while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's lot was cast, and follow the local customs in dress, in food, and other aspects of life, at the same time they demonstrate the remarkably and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is foreign. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring, which means leave their offspring out to die. They share their food, but not their wives. They are in earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are unknown, yet they are condemned. They are put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are slandered, yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. When they, 
When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. By the Jews, they are assaulted as foreigners, and by the Greeks, they are persecuted. Yet those who hate them are unable to give a reason for their hostility. In a word, what the soul is to the body, Christians are to the world. The soul is dispersed throughout all members of the body, and Christians throughout all the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body, but is not of the body. Likewise, Christians dwell in the world, but are not of the world. What do we think of this? It was written about 150 years after Paul wrote it. What is their view of what it means to be a believer? Set apart. You're a citizen. So when I'm telling you that's what citizenship meant, that's what citizenship meant. They heard what Paul was saying. They heard what he was talking about, and they said, we don't belong here. So when you have become a believer, in many ways you left everything that you had been, and you connected to a new family, the family of God. And you are now, this is where it goes back to, you didn't have to get circumcised, but you still had to leave everything. Nope, you don't got to get circumcised. But you're not joining Jewish culture. You're, go- you're joining God's culture. You're joining God's way of life. And what does that sound like? Does that sound like it's really a great invitation? How did that sound? Did that sound like a great promotion poster? Come be with us. Everybody hates us. Yes. Count the cost. How, what do you think it would happen to people if you set them down, you explain the gospel and said, eh, you're not ready, you need to count the cost. I'm sorry, you're not ready to be a believer. Would that, what kind of evangelistic method would that be? Yeah, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just saying it's a different way of doing this. It's a different way of doing business. And part of the reason we got so many people saved over the time is because we're not telling them what you actually have to do when you get saved. Say a prayer, be happy in your heart, and now you're a believer. Oh, you don't change anything. You keep on doing what you're doing. For these people, it was what? It's a 180. It's a repentance. It's a different thing. It's a way of being in the world. It's a different way of being in the world. Um, So we need to talk about citizenship a little bit more because we're just getting ready to hit that, right? But our citizenship is in heaven. We need to talk about what this means, okay? So we can, I've I've given us a real good, I'd say 75% of it. I'm gonna try to close off the other 25%. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, who's heard the song? All I know is I'm not home yet. Right, anyone know the song? Yeah. Not where I belong. Right, interesting, think about that. Where did God put us? What's going on? Is Genesis wrong or is that song not quite got something right with it? <laughs> yeah, now, the... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I get what they're talking about. What they're really saying is, I look around at this world. This is what the song is really saying. I look around at this world, and it's all off. The values are off. The feeling is off. The tone is off. I feel like I don't belong. I'm living as a foreigner and a stranger. That's what it's driving at. Now, what it says is, this world is not my home. That's actually not true. Because God created the world for us. 
what he's driving at is the foreignness of all the things around us. And so in that sense, he's absolutely right. Right? But in another sense, he is absolutely wrong. Okay? And so we have to, there, there has to be discernment in what is going on. Citizenship did not just mean um, I live within this bordered, bounded set. In America, if you live within here, right? Well, this is a great view of America, right? Here's a little Great Lakes there. There we are. So if you live within these borders or you're born within these borders, it makes you what? Citizen. And that's pretty much all it means, right? When you go to another country and you carry pot with you when you fly into Russia, right? You're taking your values there, but you don't think about taking your values there. You're not thinking about what it means to that. There's another country with another set of rules and another set of laws. And guess what she did with that? She just said, I don't care. I'm an American. I get to do whatever I want, right? She's not thinking about how that looks. I'm not condemning her and saying she's an evil, wicked person. I'm saying she's dumb. Right? That's just dumb. <coughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's a basketball player who is over in Russia right now. I got nine years for having pot in Russia. But this is our idea of citizenship. You're born in a certain place, and that's pretty much it. Nothing's impinging upon your life. She has no obligation to behave like a good American citizen in a foreign country, which would be follow the rules while you're over there. She's just doing whatever she wants. She's actually behaving like a very good American citizen. That's a very good American citizen is what she's doing. But um, when you were a citizen of Rome, uh, okay, so Philippi is in Greece, right? So here's Greece. There's, this is Turkey right over here. So Philippi is up here in Greece, and it was actually a city that was wiped out by Rome. It was actually, um, uh, Rome came in, wiped it all out, sold all the people into slavery, boom, gone. Pfft, that was it. Julius Caesar um, took, gave some of his soldiers a retirement benefit, and one of the retirement benefit was land around Philippi, and they get to um, be populated by Roman citizens. But what happens, as so often is the case, it's about 100 years before Paul is writing, is they're, they're, they're Latin-speaking people surrounded by Greek-speaking people, and before long, you're not so much Latin as much as you are Greek, right? But their grandfathers were all citizens because there wasn't a whole lot of Greek. There, there wasn't anybody Greek. They were all repopulated by Latin citizens who were citizens of Rome. So when you, when you went to Philippi and you were raised in Philippi, your citizenship was in Rome, but absolutely nobody expected you to go, yeah, I can't wait to go back there. Do you know why? Because Rome was so stuffed full of people. It was completely overpopulated. So nobody, when they were saying, I'm a citizen of Rome, no one was going, and I can't wait to get back there. That's not what they're talking about. When they said, I'm a citizen of Rome, it meant I'm living my life according to the values that you find in the city of Rome. But I'm living here in Philippi. My place is here in Philippi, but my citizenship is back in Rome. And I'm not longing to go back to Rome because Rome is chucked full of people. I'm wanting to stay here to live my life as a Roman citizen here. Probably purchased it. It says he purchased his Roman. His father purchased his Roman citizenship. 
and so he inherited it. It came with a whole lot of privileges, but it also came with responsibilities. They expected you to be following the rules and to be kind of helping people navigate what it meant to belong to Rome. So when people said, my citizenship is in Rome, nobody was saying, and I can't wait to go back there. What they're saying is, I live like I'm there, but I live it here. Does that kind of close the gap a little bit? Absolutely, they had certain privileges. So when Paul says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, he's not talking about us. I have to live in this world. I'm kind of stuck in this place and all I want to do is I just want to go there. That's not what citizenship meant. What citizenship means is my values, my goals, my life understanding of myself is from there, but I live it here. So when he says, I'm a citizen of heaven, he's not meaning so I disregard the world that's around me. That is actually the exact opposite of what he's meaning. What he's meaning is my values, my vision of the world, my beliefs, what I think is important and not important, comes from that culture, but I'm living that culture's values here. What does that turn the church into? It turns, it turns it into an embassy. Do you know what an embassy is? What's an embassy? Yeah, that's a pretty good definition. Someone who works for their country, is from that country, goes to a foreign land, and has a little tiny little smidge, a little bit of land that says, this is not American soil, this is Chinese soil right and we don't live in these walls we don't live according to the values out here how, how are we doing here we don't live according to the values out here we live according to the values of our home this is exactly what Paul is talking about he is not talking about I can't wait till I go there then I get to live like I'm going to live there but while I'm here I'm going to live like an American because I'm stuck here that is absolutely not what these people thought, was it? What did they live like? Like they were citizens of heaven, like they were citizens of eternity. And this is why Paul can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at what I'm doing. The way that I'm living in the world here, right now, in this place, is what is anticipating what's going to come which is exactly why, what is his next line? What is the very next line after he says our citizenship is in heaven? And does he say our citizenship is in heaven and so we can't wait to go there? Is that what he says? No, what's the very next line? We, we, in other words, we're not waiting here to go to there. We're waiting for there to come to here. You see the difference? We're not waiting so that we can die when so we're like, oh, I can't wait till I get to go to heaven so I can be with Jesus. Yes, we do. But what we're really waiting for is what N.T. Wright talked about. And this is where we're going to make our shift and we've got to do this. We have a half hour, right? Or 20 minutes. 
25 minutes. How are we doing so far? What are we, what are we thinking of this? Did I close the gap on citizenship? That's exactly right. And we're the ones who are supposed to be executing that. Other thoughts? How are we doing? Yeah, that's exactly right. Does anyone know what the word, this is a freebie here. You know what that means? Sent ones. It's someone who was sent on a mission. Briefly, because I really do want to talk about eternity here in just a second. An apostle was someone, anyone, who was working on your behalf. Remember, they don't have the internet. There's no internet, there's no Zoom. Hey, let's set up a business deal in... uh, uh, Florida. I got, I got a friend of mine in Miami. We're going to have to talk about it. So we don't, bloop, 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 here's Zoom, and I can talk. Like, they don't have that world. They don't have Zoom to be able to do that. So how does somebody in Saginaw, without Zoom, get a hold of somebody and make a business deal, close a business deal in Miami? How do you do that? You send somebody. You send a representative. And the way it usually worked was you really sent your oldest kid. You sent your oldest son and you said, you, why do you do that? Why do you think you sent your oldest kid as long as he was old enough? He's the heir. He's trustworthy. He's in on the family business. Is my dad, if I'm a 22-year-old kid, 22-year-old son, and I'm the dad, do I keep him out of half of my business at 22? No, what am I doing with my kid who's 22? I'm training him up, and I'm going to say, okay, kiddo, here's the deal. Here's what we're looking for. I want, I want this out of them. We're looking for this out of them, right? And he's going to explain it to them. Here's what we're hoping for. I'm going to send you $500,000. I'm going to send you 18 servants, and you're going to go down to Miami and close the deal. Like, who thinks that makes sense? Makes complete sense. That is exactly what God did with Christ. Like, exactly what's going on. So Christ goes to the earth, and he sets up his little kingdom. And he appoints 12 apostles, and their job is what? Is their job to do what they think is right in the world? They're sent to do what he wants them to do. You're not there to execute your will, because you're not there on your will or your mission. You are sent on the Father's mission. That's why you're there. You're not there to find the truth. You're not there to discover reality. You're not there to find yourself. That's not what you're there for. Sorry to disappoint you. That's not what it means to follow Christ. You're actually there to, you know, do his will. Follow what he's asked you to do. And so an apostle was somebody who was sent on mission by the one who sent them. And you don't do your own stuff because your task is to do his will. Sorry, I'm preaching now, so. <coughs> Does this make sense? That's an apostle. And this makes a lot more sense when you recognize the church is not a spiritual place where we find ourselves. The church is an embassy where you're living out the values of the kingdom of God, which has not yet arrived. Does that change what you're doing on Sunday morning? Does that change what you're doing on Monday morning? should let's 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 take another step here and talk about this eagerly awaiting a savior from there the lord jesus christ 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but we're basically exegeting Philippians 3. Have you noticed that? It's just taken us four or five days to exegete it because there's so much background stuff that helps us really get what Paul is saying. So now we're going to dive into this, and I should have done it a whole day. This was, should take a whole day, but we're just not going to do that. Okay? Um, N.T. Wright talks about life after, life after death. The book is called Surprised by Hope. I would really encourage you to go get it. It's an excellent book. What he talks about is life after, life after death, is what does God promise to do in Revelation chapter 21? What is his promise in Revelation 21? A new earth. And you see what? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's rewards, definitely a part of that. But what actually happens in, in Revelation 21? There is a new heaven and a new earth. There is everything is going to be remade. That is the promise of Revelation 21. That the world that we live in now is going to be, this is, this is eternity 1.0. We are looking forward to, to, to eternity 2.0. And where we're at right now is we're in the beta. You know what the beta is? This is the test grounding. This is the proving ground. We're getting ready to, to get it. We're trying to get it up and going. So when your loved ones die, say mom, my mom is alive, by the way. When my mom dies, and she will, she goes to heaven, which is the heaven that exists right now, right? She goes to heaven to be with God. This is the, by the way, this is the ancient worldview. My mom, when she dies, will go to heaven to be with God and sit with God, and that's where it's at. But that's not where her destiny is. It's not where my destiny is. When I go, I'm going to the same place. I don't know why I put a D. When I go, I'm going to the same place. But what's going to happen at the end of time when God says, okay, the bait is done? What happens? There's a new heaven and a new earth. And what this means is that the new heaven and new earth is going to have a different diagram. It's a Venn diagram like this right now. The spirit and the physical are combined in really unique ways. This is where they go. This is heaven. This is earth. And it's combined in this way. When the new one comes, it'll be combined in a completely different way. It'll be a different Venn diagram. Because there's a new way in which the world's going to function. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And these will now interact in a very different way. Because the rules have changed. Now what N.T. Wright calls this is this is the life after life after death. This is the world towards which we as all Christians are longing for. Not just to go live in heaven with Jesus so I can be with Jesus. Although that's a great place. It's a great holding room. Think of you ever been to the doctor and you can't see the doctor right away? And you're sitting in the holding room and you're like, boy, this is kind of boring. We get a great one. We get a big one. It's called heaven. But it is a holding room. It is the waiting place. It is not the place that is our final destination. Our final destination is the new heaven and the new earth where God will remake literally everything. And we get what out of that? What do we get? New bodies. We get the body that... Christ got 
right? Now let's think about this for a minute. We're going to get the body that Christ got. Now what were just some of the things that we know Jesus was able to do? He could eat, right? Because he eats fish. And he does this specifically so that what? Why does he eat fish? He proves he's not a ghost. That's exactly right. He's eating fish to prove I'm not a ghost. Say ghosts don't eat. That's why he did it. What else does Jesus do? He does. He walks through walls. What else does he seem to do? He can appear and disappear. Now, are that, is that the extent of Jesus' abilities? Well, we don't know. <laughs> Not exactly, right? We don't know. We have no idea. But what we do know with those three things, right? Let's just take these three things. He's physical. He's not a disembodied person. Jesus isn't a ghost. So we're not going to get a ghosty body. We're going to get a physical body. What else can he do? <coughs> Walk through things, which makes him sound like he's a ghost, except he's not a ghost. So we're talking about something like what? Teleportation? I mean, what's the, what is this, right? I don't know what that is. And he can't just, he can walk through walls, but he can transport distances, right? Let's give those same abilities to Adolf Hitler. Just, just these abilities, just, just this. He's physical, not going to die, right? He's eternal. He's, he can walk through walls, any walls, any kind of obstacle, he can go through it, and he can transport himself over great distances. We don't know what other abilities Jesus had, but we know he has those. So we're going to give the exact same thing to Adolf Hitler. What do, we think, what do you think he's going to do? What kind of destruction? Remember, because he can't die. Adolf Hitler killed 50 million people in 56 years. Right. Now let's give 300 million Adolf Hitlers. What is he going to do to the new, what are these people going to do to the new creation? Utterly and completely annihilate it. Because if you give them these abilities, they will take this universe and do what to it? Utterly and completely destroy it. Because if, if they were just disembodied, if they didn't have a physical body, well, they could just run around and be like mad at everybody. I'm so mad. What are you going to do? Nothing, because you're not in a physical body. But if you have a physical body, what can you do? You can damage stuff. You can break things. Right? What would those kind of people do to things? They would break them in ways that are just unimaginable. If you think Adolf Hitler did a lot of evil in 56 years, imagine what he could do with 5,600 or 5,600,000. What kind of evil could he do? So here's the problem. How do we fix this? How do we, how do we have an eternity that doesn't turn into Earth 2.0? And you have to give them limited abilities, right? You have to give them limited capacities, or what will they do to the world? They'll destroy it. You're going to only let them live for like 100 years. What kind of damage can they do in 100 years? Well, that guy did a lot. So let's not give him a resurrection body, right? I mean, this, isn't, this is a no-brainer, right? Take this to a six-year-old class, explain it to them, and they'll go, well, let's not give it to Hitler. That's bad. 
You don't have to have a PhD in anything to know that sounds like a bad idea. How about Genghis Khan? How about Joseph Stalin? How about Mao? Pol Pot? Anyone interested in sharing eternity with those guys? Not because we, don't, we hate them, but because what? What they're capable of has already been demonstrated. They're capable of making the world a hell. Why would anyone be interested in giving them that? As long as there is a resurrection, there has to be a hell. Has to. Has to. Or else God is taking out everything that has made them them and said, well, we're just going to take out that nasty stuff, you know, the stuff you did for like 80 years. We're going to take it all out and shove in, what, other foreign stuff? How's it get in there? How do we get it fixed? How do you fix the stuff that's going on in your life? Do you think that stuff needs to live here? What do you think the Holy Spirit is doing in your life while you're alive? You think he's just he had this little checklist that says, I like you, I don't like you? No, he's evaluating you to see whether or not you are fit. And here's the number one thing I think everyone in eternity is going to figure out how to do. And if I don't think, if you can't do this, I don't know how you'll fit in eternity. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. If you can't do that, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Like step one. Apologize for the stupid stuff you did. Repent. If you can't do that, how do you, th how do you figure you're going to live here? You're going to be able to live here? Imagine somebody who can't admit they were wrong living in eternity for five million years. Five billion years. What are they going to do? They can't admit that they were wrong. That they're not God. That they're not perfect. You see what I'm saying? Now, let's think back to what it is that God is doing within us. The Holy Spirit is not just playing games with you. He's not just like, going, I want to make them a nice person. No, he's not interested in making you a nice person. He's interested in making you a person who is fit for eternity. Now, am I saying anything that you haven't heard before? I am putting it in a slightly different light, but you all have heard this. There is a hell because anyone who's going to be resurrected you just can't stick them anyone, anyone in here. You've got to kind of isolate them and put them in their own little spot and say, have fun here. Good luck. I hope you enjoy eternity because this is where you get to do whatever you're going to do. And they all are like, wow, you're awful. Why are you here? Well, what do you think you are? Right? Now, maybe they can turn it into heaven. Good luck. You spent 80 years of your life being mad at people, being unrepentant, being not sorry, not loving people, being greedy, and you're going to stick them all these people in one spot and say, hey, you want to turn it into heaven? Go ahead. Knock yourself out. I'm going to say your odds are low. I don't think God has to do anything. I don't think there has to be any kind of burning fire and brimstone. I don't think you have to put anybody up on racks and torture them. You don't need that. Just let them live with other people who are exactly like them. They're going to burn each other. God doesn't have to. Now, I'm not saying that hell doesn't have that. I'm saying I think that's a metaphor for what this life is like. This is an eternity where you're, where you're sitting around people who are just like you, sinner, hateful, murderous person. And you get to treat them just the same way they treat you. Good luck. But if you stick Mother Teresa and St. Francis of Assisi and Clement of Rome and Paul of, uh, Paul of Tarsus 
in St. Peter and Jesus, and you stick them here. Don't stick them here. Stick them here. What are they going to do with that place? They'll make a heaven on earth because the problem isn't the outside. The problem is the inside. You are being made holy so that you are capable of taking your place in God's eternity. That's why you are being made holy. And yeah, it hurts. And yeah, it stinks. And yeah, it's not a fun job. You're right. It's not because we don't start off as great people. We start off as people who kind of live this way. But he wants to transform us into people who live this way. And that is what, he, that is what the church is. A church is an embassy of this in the here and now. That is what the church is. We are the people who are being prepared to live there, but we're going to do it here, right now, as citizens of this place, not citizens of this place. At least that person can say I was wrong. And I can submit to God in Christ. Right? At a bare minimum, that's what that person has demonstrated. I was wrong, and I submit to you as Lord. Well, maybe God can go. I can work with that. Now, are we going to give him whole planets to take care of? Well, maybe not. Right? Maybe not. You are ready to, like, take care of a garden in eternity. But for those of us who have been made holy and have been pushed and been challenged and been brought and wrought into the life of Christ, maybe God goes, yeah, you are ready to run your own galaxy. Good for you. Yeah, people who are capable of demonstrating that they're good with what God gave them. That's exactly right. Yes. Right. Yeah. We're following him. And I mean, there's so much more we could go down here. Oh, half of our problem, three quarters of our problem is religion. Yeah. Our, the idea of religion. We've lost this entirely. I'm just trying to make myself feel good. That is what Christianity has boiled down to. I want to feel good about myself and feel good about the world. God is really not interested in whether or not you feel good. He's not interested in your happiness. He's interested in your holiness. And if you're not ready to sign up for that, well, then don't. But then don't complain if you get put places. Right? That seems to me to be really a fair deal. What are our thoughts? This is this is the end. This is
to say Caesar is Lord. Yep. And Peter is like, in every nation, whoever, you know, fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. You know, and it's like, what does it mean to come to Jesus? Like, what does that mean? Like, in any nation, like, nations that haven't heard about Jesus, who fears God, like, but doesn't know the name of Jesus, is accepted by him by his works of righteousness or his alms to the poor. Yeah. Like, what do, you, what do we do with that? There's a lot of questions wrapped up in that one question. Um, one, I think it begins with shifting our idea of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. When you think of yourself as a person who's being prepared to live in eternity, that's just going to change a lot of the ways you organize your life. We have thought of heaven as the goal. I just want to be a good enough person who goes to basically the Disneyland for adults. Really, that's what we think of heaven as. It's Disneyland for big people. This looks a lot closer to, hey, you're going to be running a multi-billion dollar corporation. You better be ready to do it. What kind of qualities would you need to have in your life if you knew you were going to be a king of billions of people one day? What kind of qualities would you want to have in your life so that you don't mess it up? Wouldn't that be one of the things you might want to not do? I want to be a good king, not a bad king, right? What kind of things would you do in your life? Would you, would you indicate in your life? Would you want to have Christ manifest in your life if you knew that was going to be the end result? Right now, it's just Disneyland. It's really, like, yay, I get to go on like the, the mind ride, and I get to see Ariel. Well, that's not what heaven, that's not our, that's not our destiny. That might be what heaven is, but that's not our destiny. Our destiny isn't Ariel on, you know, in, the, in, the, in the, the, the castle. Our destiny is, hey, you have responsibilities and roles and duties and jobs, and how are you going to run it? Are you prepared to run it? It's just it's a different way of spinning it, and so I think it would answer those questions. Answering those questions starts in a different spot when you have this in mind. The goal of life is not your happiness. The goal of your life is your holiness. Yes. Well, yeah. But there's a lot that goes on into, into all of that. We have to kind of walk, each and every one of those instances, we have to walk through and see how it fits into here. How it fits into the goal that Jesus, by the way, we didn't make up resurrection. You know, when resurrection is, is second temple, uh, intertestamental Jewish theology. It's not my theology. I didn't make this stuff up. This isn't me. Jesus didn't even make it up. It was intertestamental Judaism. This is when this comes to light. And this is the life that Jesus is walking out of. Any other thoughts? We have like two minutes left. What do we think of this? There's a lot to digest. Yes? Well, that, what you're talking about then is end-time eschatology. And that is a whole other ball of wax. How do we go from here to here? How do we go from here to here? That's that end-time eschatology. I'm not sure that we have this time and space to really go into that. But you're right, it does impact some of those things. We're going to follow him wherever he goes. Yep. Anyone else?
Sure. Right here, right now. Your citizenship is in heaven, but we're living it here. Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for this lesson that we've had this week about the kingdom of God and early Christian missions. Lord, as we, as we send this idea out into the world, help us to recapture the vision and the passion and the, and the idea of eternity that you have given us through your scriptures, through your son, and through your word. Help us to be the kind of people who live as citizens and yet live as foreigners simultaneously. We love you. We praise you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Alrighty. It's good to meet you guys. Um, I'm taking